God can heal all things. God can heal all ailments. I'm not saying God can't take away my mental illness. But at this point in my life, I have a mental illness. It's something I'll probably live with the rest of my life. But it's easier when I journey with God on that. So even when I'm in my dark, deep moments of doom and gloom and logically I know like that's not me, it's not who I am, my brain is just struggling, I go to the Lord. And when I don't go to the Lord, I have wonderful people in my life who remind me to go to the Lord. Welcome to the I Am Here podcast, a space to be inspired by stories of men and women who have found in the Eucharist the strength and purpose for their lives. I'm your co-host, Leah Butalid, and I've been gathering stories for the I Am Here campaign. And I'm Father Mario Amore, a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Today, we welcome our guest, Tori Polhill, to share her story. Thanks for being here, Tori. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We are so glad to have you and to hear your story. Um, To help our audience get to know you a little more, uh, what parish do you go to? I work and belong to St. Peter's and Mount Clemens. Wonderful. How long have you been working there? Five years. Incredible. And I've joined, you know, sometime in that period. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And what what do you do there? Uh, I'm the director of youth and young adult ministries. So I hang out with middle school and high school kids and young adults and we talk about Jesus and have a blast. So good. So good. It is a special ministry. It's (laughs) something. It's really fun. I get parents all the time who are like, God bless you for doing this. I'm like, they're your children. Don't you love them? They're like, we love them even more when they're with you. I'm like, oh, me too. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love it. That's great. And so you, um, your decision to kind of step into that role has a lot to do with what you have shared with us on IamHere.org. Yes. Thank you so much once again for sharing that story. It's um, an incredible witness, and I'm excited to dive a little deeper today. Um, so can you take us back to that moment where you um, you know, started to discern this call to step into this role that you're now in? Yeah. How far are we going like all the way to the beginning? or like the just... let's, let's go all the way to the beginning. Okay. Let's take it back. Um, I don't, it probably started when I was 19, so almost 10 years ago now because I feel old. I know that's not old. I understand. Um, and I was really discerning lots of things in my life, really discerning where the Lord fit in my life, how to go about fitting Christ and the faith at the center of my life. Mm. And there was lots of different things going on in my personal life with mental health, with family. And there was this moment when I just knew I needed to invite Christ into that. And I had always had a relationship with God one way or the other. I did not always have a relationship with the Catholic faith, even though I was raised Catholic. Um, And so there was this moment where for Lent, I'm like, I'm going to go and do adoration. Mind you, I had done adoration like zero times in my entire life. So why I thought this was a great Lenten goal, Mm -hmm. not wise, (laughs) but I did it once. Uh, And I go to the adoration chapel, which I did not know we had at my current parish of St. John Vianney. It was like the side chapel that I knew was there, but like, this is where we adore Christ. I'm like, cool. Did not know that. (laughs) And um, I'm the only one in there and I'm talking to the Lord, mostly going, what am I doing here? What do I do? What's going on? Mm -hmm. How does this work? And then I had this moment where I could hear Christ speaking to me, which freaked me out because that had never happened before. And it was that moment of like profound, um, I didn't understand being worthy and I felt so unworthy and weak in that moment of where I belonged in the bigger picture of life, Mm -hmm. let alone ministry in the church. Uh, And it was that moment of Christ speaking to me saying, I became so small in the host and the Eucharist and this sacrifice so that you can feel worthy in moments like this. Mm -hmm. And then I cried. 
Oh. And then someone came in after me and was like, I think you'd be an awesome youth minister. And I had never told anyone that I wanted, like, was considering youth ministry. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why I was considering youth ministry other mm-hmm. than the fact that I had an awesome youth minister. But again, I was struggling with, like, the rest of life. Yeah. So it was all lots of God moving that part of me towards the direction that I am now and today, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, and part yeah. of your story, you share just so very freely and and beautifully even about um, your own struggle with uh, bipolar depression. And uh, a lot of times, probably for many of our listeners, um, uh, talking about mental health or mental illness, uh, there's like a stigma mm-hmm. behind it. And so can you talk to us just a little bit more about um, just how the power of um, prayer, being with the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament kind of um, helped you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those of us who struggle with any type of mental illness, and it's something that's really hard for those who don't to understand, you have this, you have two settings. You're constantly in this fog that you're like, it's dark, it's depressing, it's Mm -hmm. sad. Even though when you know that logically you want to feel happy, or then you have these moments where you are happy and you're excited and you're you're like, life is great. But lingering in the back of your mind is always like, but why is that darkness still there? Mm -hmm. And I was very much, I had just been diagnosed at 19 with bipolar depression after several years of struggling with something and we couldn't find out what that something was. Mm -hmm. And I was going to the Lord in prayer and I was constantly struggling with that how do I fit the Lord into this deep darkness? Now, we've been raised our whole life that the Lord is always in the darkness with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And logically, that makes sense. But when you're in that darkness, thoughts, logic go out the window. Yeah. And prayer was the only place that I could feel relief of any sort. And it wasn't joyous. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always peace-filled. But it was a little bit of relief where I knew that something was good in this moment, even when it felt so dark. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going back to that. And I kept going back to the fact that even if it wasn't totally joy-filled, totally peace-filled, this awesome yeah. rush of emotion that like as teenagers you get a lot at like youth mm-hmm. conferences and stuff. And it's like, I'm in love with Jesus. This is awesome. And then you go home and you're like, wow, this is yeah. fine. It was right. kind of like that, but all the time. And so it was that constant going back where I had to just realize if I keep doing this, it might get better because Jesus promised it would get better. Mm. And it wasn't until that moment in adoration where I had that profound experience of Christ speaking to me in such audible words of, you know, you're worthy even when you don't feel worthy. You know, I became so small so that you can feel that worthiness that I realized, oh, he is listening. He is there. He is present. And it it doesn't have to be profound experiences all the time because so often it's not. Mm-hmm. Even in that moment, it was. Right, right. In that moment when you did make that decision, it, that was a Lenten commitment, right, yeah. to, to go to adoration. <laughs> um, were you in kind of that season of darkness? What was that like trying to make that decision in the midst of this great challenge, this cross that you were carrying? It's kind of hard to say, was I in that season of darkness? Because at that time, I always was. Sure. Mm. I remember a couple weeks prior, I had gone to coffee with my youth minister and mentor in ministry, a dear friend of mine now. Um, I'm telling her, hey, I think I want to become a youth minister. She's like, Tori, you got to get some stuff together. I'm like, I totally get that. So I was discerning going and taking classes at the seminary and discerning all these things. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking of that conversation I had with her of, you got to figure this out. You got to get stuff together. So that kind of prompted me to journey deeper into the faith in a way that I had never done before. But that constant darkness was always there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that was leaving me. And it 
truthfully didn't leave me for several years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember being 17, having dark days, really bad moments. 19 probably peaked where Mm -hmm. I got my diagnosis and it was awesome. We finally discovered that like nothing's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. My brain isn't outputting the correct chemicals all the time and we can fix that. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to not feel like that you did something wrong. And so at that moment, it was also my toughest year. I ended up being hospitalized. I put myself in the hospital for a little bit saying like, this is bad. Like if I don't get the help I need, I'm going to do something that I don't want to do. And in that moment, in all those moments put together at the end of that year, I remember looking back, turning 20, because my birthday's right after the new year, mm-hmm. going to my family and being like, I think this is what I want to do. I think this is where I'm going to go. And my mom looked at me and said, I have seen a profound difference in you. And she didn't know what it was. Wow. I wasn't open to them about my faith life at that point. And I just remember her crying and mm-hmm. saying, like, this is a profound difference in you, and we are so happy for you. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Making a commitment as a 19-year-old to go and spend time in adoration throughout the season of Lent isn't a super common thing. Um, What influences were in your life that led you to believe that that would be the good um, that it was? Definitely my mentor. Um, She was and still is a huge impact in my faith Mm -hmm. life. But when I was 16, she challenged me. Uh, I went to her as a snarky 16-year-old <laughs> kid saying, I don't believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. Wow. And we had a really good relationship. As a youth minister myself, I would never say this to a kid unless I had this relationship with them. Sure. And she goes, Tori, you're not Catholic. Oh. I'm like, rude? <laughs> <laughs> and wow. I had to discover for myself, like, what is this teaching mm. of the Catholic Church? What What do we really believe about what's happening at Mass and what's happening in adoration like in that with the host and Jesus really becoming Jesus for us and that piece of bread that looks like a wafer and tastes like cardboard. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was in doing those things that I realized I needed to do something that I had never done before. I needed to go outside my comfort zone. She preached that a lot, going outside of your comfort zone. And let me tell you, talking to a, a, at the time that I was just like, this is a wafer and a really Mm -hmm. pretty thing, Mm -hmm. the beautiful monstrance that we have. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I needed to do something that I'd never done before to mm-hmm. get results that I had never had before. Totally. And I didn't realize at the time that Jesus would have done that for me anyway, mm-hmm. no matter where I had gone. But pushing myself to do something so hard, and I failed a lot, but it was in those failures that I was able to go back and be like, you know, I didn't show up yesterday, but I can show up today. Mm-hmm. And if I don't show up tomorrow, I'll try again the next day. And I had lots of great little insights, and most of them came from just showing up. Not profound, deep stuff that happens that one time it happened. Right. It was just showing up. Right. Were there other things that, that you did to kind of deepen your own belief in, in the real presence of the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament? So, yes, but it wasn't until a little while later. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with Pope John Paul II. Okay. Uh, I don't know how. I was really struggling with my relationship with Mother Mary Mm -hmm. and I picked up this book by um, Jason Everett called St. John Paul the Great His Mm -hmm. Five Loves and the Eucharist being one of his five loves and I was doing mission work again really discerning my youth ministry thing so I was working for an organization putting on what are they called work camps like summer work camps Mm -hmm. where teens come and do work and all that jazz and praise the Lord and great stuff (laughs) and so I was traveling the country doing the stuff I was the only Catholic on my team so I'm like well I should learn more about you know Sure. What I'm sure. doing. So I read this book, and John Paul II is talking about his love of the Eucharist, and there's that story of where he's at one of the seminaries, 
and they had shut the door in the seminary to where the tabernacle was because the priest who had to keep him on schedule was like, if he knows that the tabernacle is here, he's going to go spend time with Jesus. Oh, my god! And so they shut the door. There was nothing on the door saying the tabernacle was in there. They were all, you know, like here at the seminary, their doors all look the same. Most mm-hmm. of them don't have signs. And John Paul II, the great holy man that he is, could just know that Jesus was there. <laughs> and I read this at like, you know, 21 years old. And I'm like, whoa, this is insane. And it brought me back to that moment I had at 19 yeah. with that encounter with Jesus and I'm like, I need to do this again. So we mm-hmm. traveled from state to state, and I found Catholic churches near there when I could. Mm-hmm. There was none in West Virginia where I was, but otherwise <laughs> I would found Catholic churches, and I went to adoration and I went to Mass. And it was this awesome experience of spending time with the Lord in that way that brought me closer to Him in my prayer life, right. reading Scripture, learning about the saints, mm-hmm. talking yeah. to other people about, like, what is it really like to be Catholic, not just say you're Catholic, but yeah. what's it like to practice the Catholic faith? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you said, um, you know, I think we all face this. You said, when you're when you were before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, you said it came to this point where I had to decide if I was going to stay or leave. I'm sure that still happens today. Absolutely. So, what do you do in those moments? So, um, I'm a really strange individual. <laughs> the Lord and I have argued my entire life about <laughs> just everything. Um, and I love, I love Jesus. And I've come in recent times to really see him as our Lord in a way that like, I think we have a hard time as Americans understanding that lordship idea. Mm-hmm. But for so long, he was my friend. So I could banter with him. So I still banter with Jesus. And really in those moments where I'm like, what do I do? Do I stay or do I go? You get that song in your head. Um <laughs> I go to the Lord and I'm like, this is what you want of me, but this is what I really want to do. And this is freaking me out. This is a lot. This is outside my comfort zone. I have learned the best thing to do is just shut up and listen. I don't know if I'm allowed to say shut up. (laughs) We don't have any sensors here. Okay, cool. (laughs) It's just stop and listen. (laughs) You just just take that moment to really listen to what the Lord is telling you and... Mm. I haven't experienced a time in my life yet where the Lord wants me to stay somewhere and it's been a bad thing or he wants me to go somewhere and it's been a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So my go-to is just listen and hope for the best. And so far the best has always been what he's provided. Mm-hmm. So Always is. Praise God for that because <laughs> right. otherwise our life would be a mess. <laughs> Well, Tori, so now you work with teens who are on a faith journey of their own. Um, I would love to know how you um, talk to them about Jesus's presence in the Eucharist. How do you help teens like you who are like, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. What do you say to them? They are my favorite. Uh, I love teenagers who so much remind me of myself as teenagers. <laughs> uh I'm one of those individuals who gets easily excited about non-excitable things. Hmm. Um, So when they bring up the Eucharist, I get stoked and I get super pumped because I have had an experience, but it's usually not the the experience that I talked about today. It's not that moment going back, you know, at 19 in the Adoration Chapel where the Lord says to me that I am worthy, Mm -hmm. that he became so small that I I can feel worthy. It's not that moment I think of. It's every other moment. Mm -hmm. It's the mundane. It's the simple. It's the ordinary. It's the times at Mass where I'm just like, Lord, I'm here. I really don't want to be here. I'm tired. I wanted to go to sleep in. I have to work in a few hours. Like, what are we doing? And then the consecration happens. Mm -hmm. And for someone who for so long never understood what was taking place, heaven and earth are becoming one. 
Like something so ordinary that happens every day is so extraordinary and we don't realize that. So when I get to tell the kids about this, I get pumped. I get a little excited. (laughs) They always tell me to tone it down a little bit, but they love me anyway and I don't. But something happens to them every once in a while, whether they have an experience at mass or we are at like a national Catholic youth conference or at a camp or at something where I see usually just one or two of them. They have this moment of, oh, this is what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. This is what we've been discussing for so like This is truly God. Wow. And it's those moments that in youth ministry, you don't always get to see your plant. They always say you're planting seeds for the future. It's very annoying because as Catholics, we so want to help people come to the Lord. Mm -hmm. At least I do. But with teenagers, you don't often get to see that. You don't often get to see where their life will take them in the future. Even if you have a good relationship with them, Mm -hmm. you don't know how you've impacted them in their faith. Mm -hmm. But when those moments do come about that you see that, oh, this is God moment, like this is real and I am worthy of this, it's why I do what I do. Amazing. With the Lord's help, because With- otherwise this would be a really hard job. <laughs> but he provides the help. He gives you what you need. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. What do you I tell the it. kids, um, the young people? I'm sorry, not the kids, the young people. <laughs> when, um, you know, how, how do you prepare them for Eucharistic adoration? Because mm. when, when you go to the youth conferences or probably at certain points in the year as part of youth ministry meetings, taking them before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, How do you set the scene for them? A lot of them have heard my story at one point or another. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't always share it with them every year, but every couple of years. So someone in there has heard it and they usually say it. And like, we've never had that profound experience where we've heard God talking. Mm -hmm. So I make it clear to them that like, I've only had that experience a handful of times, like twice. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in adoration, I'm not looking for that. And I, I, I always try to prepare them and don't go in there looking for anything. Just go in there opening yourself up to whatever the Lord has to give you. Because in that moment, he wants to give you whatever your heart desires most, especially if you've never experienced his love in that way before, which so many of our young people haven't. Mm -hmm. So many of our young people haven't really encountered the Lord in a way that profoundly changes their life. And if we set them up for something that may not happen, I feel like we're setting them up for failure but we can't set them up for failure if the Lord's always going to be there, and he is. So I just tell them to go in with an open heart. Uh, Their biggest concerns are usually how long do we have to kneel for? (laughs) What if we do something wrong? Mm -hmm. What if we don't know what to say? And what do you mean we are sitting in silence for 10 or 20 minutes? Mm -hmm. And that is like really good questions because we're all concerned about those things. (laughs) Uh, Even as an adult, like kneeling on hard floor is hard. Sitting in silence is hard, and we don't prepare our young people for science. So I tell them, talk to God. Have a conversation with the Lord. Like you're talking to your friend or your neighbor or your mom or whatever, just talk. And then take time to listen. Uh, I had one kid who put a timer on his phone on silent, but he put a timer. He's like, I'm going to talk for three minutes, and then I'm going to listen for three (laughs) minutes. And it worked for him. He had a great experience. He's like, I don't know if I had anything profound. I'm like, but did you feel loved? He's like, Mm -hmm. yes. Like, mm-hmm. that's all that matters. Yeah. You always leave changed mm-hmm. in one way or another. Tori, I'd love to know um, at this point in your life, can you just share what it means to you, the fact that Jesus would be present to you um, and and what it means for him to be present to you in your mental health journey in particular? What is that like, the kind of intersection between your faith and your mental health? 
That is a great question. Um, I've had so many changes in the last couple of years. We had the pandemic, which was hard on everyone. Yeah. I worked a ton during the pandemic. I got engaged, got married in 2021. It was beautiful things. Thank you. So good. And it was learning. I'm still finishing my degree. You know, I'm still working full time. I also have friends that I like to see every once in a while. I have a family who I adore. Um, it was really hard to reconcile taking care of myself in all those different ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get healthy for my wedding and for my future life. I want to take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I had this man in my life who now was my husband who helped me do those things. And I remember having a conversation with him, telling him, like, these are the things you need to look out for to help me in my mental health. Like, if you see me spiraling in this, like, this is bad. Like, if I start going down the deep, dark hole of, all is, you know, the world's going to blow up and everything's doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not typical Tory. So you need, might need to pull me aside. And he said to me one day that he noticed that when I spend more time in prayer, when I spend more time at church, or even when I just spend more time, I don't want to say pretending to pray, but having the intention to pray. Mm-hmm. You know, I always have the intention to pray for at least 10 minutes a day, mm-hmm. like very intentionally silence. But things get in the way. I have a puppy. I have a husband. <laughs> dishwasher keeps exploding like things happen in life that like that 10 minutes can go away Mm. but the point that he was making was that when i put my faith life first i am a happier person Mm. not to say that god god can heal all things god can heal all ailments i'm not saying god can't take away my mental illness but at this point in my life i have a mental illness it's something i'll probably live with the rest of my life but it's easier when i journey with god on that so even when i'm in my dark deep moments of doom and gloom and Logically, I know like that's not me. It's not who I am. My brain is just struggling. I go to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And when I don't go to the Lord, I have wonderful people in my life who remind me to go to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And they remind me to get help in other ways, whether that's going back to seeing a therapist or adjusting medication or talking it out and just like not bottling up all the emotions that I tend to do. Surrounding yourself with people who care about you and love you that the Lord has put in your life has helped me prioritize not just my health, physically and mentally, but also my spiritual health. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm really grateful for that, that, those insights. Can you share a little bit about what your habit of adoration or time in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel looks like today? Is I imagine working at a parish, you've got the Lord close. So um, so what is it like to you know go and spend time with Him in your day-to-day? So as often as I'd like to get to adoration, it's become harder recently. Um, we're in the middle of moving, like, changing our adoration chapel. But I always, especially before ministry, I always spend time in prayer. Mm -hmm. I'm blessed that I work at a parish. My first year working in youth ministry full-time, I was like, I got to do this job so well. So my prayer life suffered. Turns out you really can't do ministry well if you're not praying. (laughs) Um, So I always spend time in prayer beforehand. And my favorite place to pray is usually inside the church. But we have a beautiful grotto, too. And I find God most often, if I'm not before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, in nature. Mm. So just being outside. uh, We have this beautiful Marian grotto at our parish where I'm able to just go sit and pray and ask the Lord to come and help me serve for him. Mm -hmm. And that my words become his words. My actions are his actions. Uh, But those moments where I'm before the Eucharist are always the moments that I find joy in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's really hard working with teenagers. It's like really hard working with teenagers. <laughs> I love teenagers. Middle school kids, awesome. Love them, adore them. <laughs> High school kids, love them. It's hard because you don't always see the fruits. Mm-hmm. You don't always know if you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. 
and they can cut you deep to the core if they want to. Like if they're having a bad day, they know how to ruin your life. Oh. They don't mean to. Sure. But it's those moments where I can go before the Lord and pray intentionally for my students that bring me the most joy and peace, knowing mm -hmm. that if I'm not making a difference, I don't need to because mm -hmm. the Lord is. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to do that as often as I can. And once a week is my goal. I love it. Yeah, That's I great. I think we have to have goals, you yeah. know, like, yeah. like goals for prayer, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, I think, too, for people who work in the church, um, a lot of times uh, a, a temptation is I work for the church, I'm close to the Lord, like physically close to the Lord, <laughs> right. and, and like my, my whole day has been like working for Jesus. And so I think a temptation sometimes um, for us is I just need to go and do something else mm -hmm. or... Um, you know, I, I've been working in the realm of Jesus' work all day, and but we we could have never said a word to him. Absolutely, or never opened our ears to listen. Um, so I think it's just really important for us uh, to have those goals, to take that time that we need, especially again those of us who work in the church, to to be filled ourselves, so that we can we can share it, and especially uh, with <laughs> with the young people uh, <laughs> who we love, who we love, we Deeply, do, yes. But yeah, I, I literally put it in my calendar. Mm -hmm. uh, oh. I am such a nerd that I need to have like 400 devices telling me where to be at all <laughs> moments of my life. So I put prayer time into my calendar so that when I show up at the office in the morning, my calendar says from like 8.10 to 8.25 that I'm praying. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not at church, because I'm really bad at showing up in the morning for mass, I prefer afternoon or evening mass, mm -hmm. um, then I pray at my desk or I do mm -hmm. liturgy the hours or I go before the Blessed Sacrament if he's available. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to schedule it. Otherwise, my brain's like exactly what you said, Father Mario. I've been doing it all day. Mm -hmm. I want to go do something else. Like I need some ice cream or some coffee. I don't need the Lord, but really we need the Lord more than we need ice cream or coffee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And that's a lot. We need him a lot. Yes. <laughs> because we love ice cream and coffee. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Tori, for uh, taking us through your story and, of and um, for sharing just the beauty of what the Lord has done in your life. It's its remarkable and such a gift to hear, and we're so grateful that you would share it with us on IamHere.org and here on the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for really, having me. Really brave to share too. Yes. Thank yes. you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the I Am Here podcast. You can read and listen to more stories of people encountering Jesus in the Eucharist at IamHere.org. And we also invite you to share your story with us. I Am Here is a campaign by the Archdiocese of Detroit and Hello App in support of the National Eucharistic Revival.